0: Hello, you're very welcome to the week that really was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan, where this week there will be more John McGurk and Sarah Ryan, because last week, Kevin Myers was here, he had um, an awful lot to say, we didn't get to say that much, and I don't say that in a complaining way, it was wonderful to hear uh, from him, Uh, and we got a big reaction to that episode, and uh, it was just phenomenal, I think, Sarah, to, to hear Kevin in such good form. But how are yeah, you? This great.
1: I'm good. Yeah, loads, loads of feedback about the podcast last week. But I'm sad today, John, because Jerry Springer died. And can I just say, Jerry Springer was a huge feature of my teenage years, an icon of his time, and uh, introduced trash TV to me, and played a huge part in me and um, being a student that my geography teacher had never met. While well, my mom went to the parent-teacher meeting, in here <laughs> <third year.
0: laughs> <laughs> you were home watching Jerry Springer, while you were in Johnny
1: <laughs> and Mary Povich and all those crappy TV things. But no, Jerry Springer just some of us just watched
0: it. Eurotrash on Friday nights on Channel Five, to be honest. Um, oh, but I forgot
1: he, about that.
0: Yeah, it's dreadful stuff. Looking back, uh, uh, it, it, it really. It, it, wasn't he a candidate for the United States Senate at one point, Jerry Springer, as a Democrat in Ohio? There's a major, he had strong political views. He was a very liberal, progressive guy um, away from the studio. And I think there was always the sense that the studio, Jerry was very much an act.
1: Oh, I'm sure it was. Um, yeah, I think he was a candidate for something at one point, but he was very, he just had a great kind of sense of humour about some of the guests. But um, yeah, no, we, we, I was on holiday with my parents' When I was about 17, we were in a restaurant and my dad's in New York. My dad said, that guy over there looks really like Jerry Springer. And it was Jerry Springer. My brother and I were so amused and like met him and everything. We were highly amused to meet him because, you know, it was just ridiculous. What was he like? He was just kind of, he was really, really nice, really friendly. Um, It, it was kind of like, a, you know, it was kind of a funny thing. And then I always remember being at home with my brother, watching Jerry Springer and then in the crowd, right at the back, Cheering, you know, to some nonsense about something. There was two guys in Ireland jerseys with a flag <laughs> waving a flag. and my brother and I talked about it for years because this was back in the day when like you couldn't rewind it back or, you know, <laughs> we just saw this brief, you know, saw this for a second, and that was it. and uh yeah, so it's sad. I think he was seventy eight.
0: Yeah, very young to die uh, it, by modern standards as well. Uh, and, you know, he's yeah. one of those people, yeah, I hadn't heard from him for, or about him for a few years. he kind of fallen off the cultural radar and then you hear that he's dead. And you're like, God, we're all mm-hmm. getting old. Uh, but he wasn't the only icon to die this week. I was very uh, affected. I uh, gen- actually felt genuinely sad about the death of Barry Humphreys, who for years played Dame Edna Everidge and Sir Leds Patterson and a whole host of other ridiculous characters. Um, and was just had a real knack um, for for puncturing nonsense, I mean, there was this brilliant ability. He was interviewing Jerry, Jerry um, Jeremy Jeffrey Archer at one point in the UK, and he was he said Jeffrey was Do you ever do, do you laugh? Do you ever laugh at yourself? And Jeffrey Archer said yes. He said, Well, of course, because if you couldn't laugh at yourself, you'd be missing out on the biggest joke in the history of the world. I mean, that kind of viciousness <laughs> that I delivered heard. with a smile. Against people who deserved it was well, a very know. admirable form of comedy, um, I always thought. Um, and
1: doing so, that kind of, she used to do that kind of mouth thing. You know that yes. mouth thing? <laughs> yes. Like even thinking about it makes me smile. Yeah, my grandmother um,
0: used to do that mouth thing, actually. She, yeah. she used to get great mannerisms. But anyway, yeah. other and things... And also,
1: what I, another thing I love about, uh, just to finish that, uh, her is that a relative of mine who is um, older not that old, but older, I had to, like, I had to spend quite a long time, about less than a year ago, explaining to this person why that's not transgender. (laughs) And they thought that, like, that's a transgender person, which, if you think about it, if you're older and that was your only cultural, like, reference, that's what you would think. Mm. But um, that will always remind me of that now as well.
0: Barry Humphries is actually—he's uh, he very sceptical of the whole transgender movement. He—he he wrote and he got into a bit of trouble a few years ago. It's all been forgotten now because he died and you can't speak will of like the dead. But he got in a little trouble a few years ago for describing transgender people as people who had mutilated themselves. So he was very—he uh, had very strong opinions on all of that stuff. But other people, uh, because this isn't a showbiz podcast that we could talk about it all all, all evening. Um, other people who've had a difficult week didn't quite die, but Niall Collins has had a bit of a difficult week. Didn't um, quite die. Well, it remains to be seen because for politicians, having to resign is kind of the equivalent of death. It might even be a fate worse in some if if it's a, uh, you know, because they spent their whole lives getting to be ministers, and then you've got little upstart websites like the Ditch, threatening their years of hard work by revealing um thing revealing things like the sale of land twenty odd years ago and what they did and did not vote on it. Um. What was your take on that scandal? Because I wrote about mine during the week. Uh, I sense yours might be a little bit difficult, different than mine was.
1: I mean, I think that there was. So this isn't our first rodeo with Niall Collins in the last couple of months, obviously, and I think that some of the other things. Um, there was a different Niall O'Connor or something used on a, I think it was a planning application and a couple of other things that to me seemed a lot more serious than this ever Mm. did. And I haven't felt at any moment that there was ever any real chance that he was going to resign or anything like that. But I think that um, being in a meeting where the council is agreeing to put land up for sale that your wife has an interest in buying is a conflict of interest that you should have the cop-on to know and to, to recuse yourself from. and Because ultimately, you should know that there is a chance that your wife will buy that land. And if your wife buys land, you do have an interest in that. Like if you're married and your partner buys, do you know what I mean? Something you can't, like it's very, there's a very clear line between benefit for you personally and that event. To me, anyway. um. So I think that, the he, you know, there's questions. I don't know if there's still questions. I mean, I he, he made a statement today. Fine. But I think he's guilty of very
0: poor judgment. That's concerning. He, cut to the chase. If you were his boss, if you were sitting in the chair of the leader of Fianna Fáil, they'd be a lot better off if you were, might I add. um. Mm-hmm would you be saying nile uh, i want a resignation letter or would you be saying nile you're an absolute idiot but we're going to have to stand by you on this one but you owe me one
1: i'd be saying nile we're going to stand by you on this you're an absolute idiot but because i've let i've res- made other people in this party resign for far less than this and i can't afford to lose any more i mean that's also part of it if if Dara Cleary going to a fundraiser during COVID was worthy of resignation and Barry Andrews' nonsense, like drunk Barry Cown, driving, Barry, or Barry Barry Andrews, Barry Cowan nonsense drunk, dr- drunk driving thing that eventually turned out to be barely anything was all worthy of people getting the bullet, then this is too. Mm. But but they don't have them enough of a majority and it looks bad and they're going to hang on, that's fine. But like, I think Dara Leary got shafted by that nonsense. I think, like the fact that he was invited to an event and all, I just, I really did not. Okay, maybe should have apologized. Maybe should have got a slap in the wrist for a bit of poor judgment. But like, the whole COVID thing was mob mentality and chaos and whatever. And I didn't think that was worthy of resignation. I don't think this is either. But I think that the 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 reason why he's not being made resign is because of all those other ones and Robert Troy as well. Um, And so, you know, like. I'm not sure. I just think that, like, there's a lot of kind of, I it might be that the, it, it ends up being death by a thousand cuts. There might be more to come. I don't know. Um, I don't think if I was the leader that I would make him resign. But I think I would definitely be talking to him and saying, like, I presume that you've learned your lesson here and that this level of poor judgment won't be something that we're seeing again in the future.
0: Yeah, there's a few things I agree with you there on. Um, I mean, first of all, I absolutely agree that the stuff that came out about him previously was, to my mind, much more serious. There Mm. was evidence, for example, that um, on a particular planning application, he had said that he did not already own own a home when he did. Um, He disputed that, but the, the, the documentary evidence was fairly convincing. Um, then there was this the, the bizarre matter of, as you point out, changing his name on a form. I mean, he's he's not called niall O'Connor; he never was, and yet he filled out his name as that on a form, which by itself, I think, is um, is evidence of you wanting to hide something. Yeah, um, like Keith
1: is Keith. Keith is Keith Redmond, right? So if Keith was filling out a planning application next week and he wrote down Keith Ryan, you know exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like your pen is hovering over it. And you go, I think I'm going to ride a different. Like, come on. Come yeah. on. Like, uh you know?
0: So, so yeah, I agree with you on all of that. I, it, and I also agree with you that he is benefiting from, ironically, he's benefiting from Lee Hall Martin's disloyalty to his own people. Uh, because yeah. everything you said about Derek Leary and Robert Troy and all the others is true. And objectively, their offenses were, and particularly Barry Cowan, their offenses were significantly lesser and they got. Him. You know, the proverbial bullet for it. Um, yeah. so, there's, uh, so there's a huge issue there. Where I kind of disagree with you is I think this particular story, this, this particular, i take it as a standalone, pretend there's nothing else around it. This particular story, um, the land in question was sold on the open market by an auctioneer appointed by the council. There were several bidders for it, Mrs. Collins, Mrs. O'Connor, whatever her name is. Eventually was the highest bidder, but she ended up paying thirty thousand euro more than she had originally bid. Um, I don't think you can say you have a financial interest in something that you, you want to buy. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, mean, I don't have a financial interest in a car that I'm going to the to the car garage to think about buying. I'm only thinking about having financial interest in it. Um, there was no guarantee. Nothing in his vote was decisive. The vote was seven to nil. If he voted the other way or abstained, it would have been six to nil. Um, He he didn't actually engage in activity that directly enriched himself. And therefore, when people say it's corruption, as some people have said online, I can't agree with that because to me, corruption is doing something wrong that you knowingly know will enrich yourself. So that that, uh, that to me is an important distinction.
1: Well, play devil's advocate then. Let's suppose that um, I'm on the council. Uh, I'm in that meeting and I'm aware
0: you were on the uh, council by the way because this is you actually have yeah. some insight here you yeah. you were on, so, one point so, on the council did you ever vote to sell yourself land? no
1: when I was twenty four I did not I didn't own anything or have any money um no but like th- there's, there's there's many ways in which advantage can be achieved in matters of proper, in matters of matters of property matters of life right so let's suppose um like it is an advantage if i if you if you uh, are interested in in buying something that the council may or may not put up for sale and i tell you we voted this evening like it it, it, you know i'd I'd have to look more into this and how the information was dispersed but like it is an advantage to know that something is coming on the market perhaps before other people if that was if that was a feature like we don't know do you Mm. know what i mean like if you say if I say to you, listen, I'm just giving you the heads up that the council is about to vote next week on the potential on the, on on selling X, Y and Z. And you say, all right, well, I'm going to get my finances in order. So I'm ready. So when that's announced, I'm early or I'm ready or whatever. That is an advantage over other people. Do you know what I mean? Now, I'm not suggesting that that necessarily happened in this case, but I'm saying there's more than one way to show advantage. And if you know that, you just don't get involved in the meeting. Because you know that your wife is interested potentially in buying that, I think it's bad judgment, and I and I don't think it follows that it's automatic that um, that there's no advantage being garnered there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think you make a very good point. Uh, I, I don't like it because I think your point might be better than the one I made, but I have to concede <laughs> it. I think I think you made a very good point. Um, there, there there are certain look, the, the bottom line is this smells bad. And it smells bad to a lot of people who are very frustrated of how the country is being run. They look at their health services, they look at their education services, they look at immigration and all the other issues that are bothering them. And then they find out that this guy, I mean, ultimately, bear in mind, the other element of this that we haven't mentioned is that that I believe Mrs. Collins O'Connor, you know, originally purchased this to build a health clinic. That was the state of purpose when she expressed interest in buying the land. It was to build a health clinic for the benefit of the community purchased the land, mm-hmm. and I'm not suggesting, I, I won't be absolutely hearing this, I'm not suggesting that she did anything wrong or illegal, but it is on record, that's what she said she was buying the land for. The health clinic, for whatever reason, was never built. What was built was four, ho- five houses on the land, which are now going to be sold back to the council, or the council are in talks to buy back, we don't know whether they'll actually buy it back, uh, for a very substantial profit. I can see why mm-hmm. people will be annoyed by that. That, that is, that has the I'd be very careful on this podcast, what we say for legal reasons, but let's just say that to some people, it might have the whiff of pulling a fast one. Um, yeah, and I think I there's mean, that- there's,
1: a lot of, there's a lot of people in Ireland who feel like that they're being done all the time by the system, by the state, by whatever, you know what I mean? And so, like, again, that comes down to an issue of judgment that, you know, everything probably is all above board. And, you know, like, you know, you know, and I know, John, that like you buy land, Well, uh, you know, and I know, John, you buy land. I wouldn't know. I've never bought land, but like, but you know, I can, I can imagine that you buy land with one thing in mind and maybe that doesn't pan out for a variety of reasons and that's fine and things change. But I just think that there is a real like growing, growing cynicism about politics and whatever. And if you're involved in politics, you know, you just have to like be above board, play everything above board and just be absolutely militant about never being involved in anything that might look like you have a vested interest in this way. And, you know, hopefully this is the end of it. And he's like spoken in the doll today. And I saw Sinn Féin coming out and saying he still had questions to answer. But then Louise O'Reilly was asked, well, give one question and she wasn't really able to come up with a question. So I think he said this piece. What I'd be concerned about is that I think the ditch are militant about their like research. And I don't know, it just seems that they're just like drip, drip, drip with all this stuff. And well, look, let's see what happens. Like, let's see how this plays out. But um I don't know. I just think, you know, he's, he's, his judgment should have been better.
0: That's well, speaking of judgment and speaking of the ditch, uh I was blown away by Michael Martin's judgment today. I thought he he launched on the floor of the doll an attack on the ditch website, in which he said that they were uh, I don't have the exact quote to hand, but uh, this is a paraphrase that they were basically a heavily partisan, shady, uh, politically motivated outlet that were transparently out to take down the government, and he didn't have to facilitate them on the doll on the floor of the, the doll. Uh, Except that that he just did. Except that he just did. In the first instance, I thought to myself, because I am the editor of Gripped, and had he said that about Gripped, I would be popping the champagne corks. I mean, I'd be a little bit annoyed on the one hand, but I'd also be popping the champagne corks because, you know, you're not in journalism to make friends. You're in journalism to make friends and people in power, then, you know, you're no use to anybody. Uh, if, If they're annoyed at you, you're doing something right. And if you're not doing something right, then there are courts of law and defamation um suits and lots of lawyers would be lining up but little media outlets out of business so
1: well i think it speaks vo- like the disdain and and listen we've seen it with with um certain at certain times with grip stuff that there's a kind of a sneery disdain about and and it speaks more uh, like even if some of the stuff he's saying about the ditch is right and we can talk about that but there's a kind of a sneery disdain and it speaks volumes about the kind of relationship he has with all the other journalists and it's too cozy
0: this is actually and
1: it shows and the public are starting to see through it. That's why, as we said, on, the, I said on the podcast a number of episodes ago that it was the first time I ever remember in my living memory that a protest went to a newspaper, the Irish Times, and they're protesting. People are really distrusting of the media now more than ever. And when he stands up and goes on a little rant about the one web, the one website that it has like it's taken like, is it one or two scalps from his ministers, from his cabinet already? And is now trying to get its third. Is it set? There was Robert Troy. Who else was there? Damien English. Oh, it's Fine Gael. But like, as like, it's now looking for its third, you know, scalp from his government. They, they but they're finding facts. They're finding resignation matter, a, a resignation matter amongst his cabinet. They're not like, I remember my dad years ago telling me some. That he, 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 it must have been in the nineties or something, where one of the English tabloids was talking about um, somebody who was supposed to, some celebrity or some footballer who's supposed to not be drinking, and they they took they got a picture of him in a nightclub, and then they photoshopped drinks on the table in front of him, and they printed that photo. Like that was the level that they were doing, right? No one's photoshopping anything here. They're f- uncovering things that become resignation re- matters for resignation, and so like. Okay, it's annoying or whatever, but like at the same time, like it's like don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Yeah. I mean, like I I, I I agree with him that the that there is a there's a mentality behind this. There's a like there's a kind of a vicious, like absolute agenda here that's not very savory, but at the same time. A, he's giving them more profile than ever by discussing them, so that's his first mistake. But B, he's exposing like Mihal as like he was the t He's now the tarnisher. Mihal should be kind of peed off at loads of journalists most of the time, mm-hmm. and he's not because no one ever writes anything bad about I, him.
0: I, I mean, I have a piece. I have a piece coming out. It'll actually be out before the podcast. Uh, so, so you might have already read it if you're the kind of person who reads my stuff, and not everyone is. But um, about this very question, and uh, and the fact is. During COVID, the entire media lined up behind him. You're, you take a social issue, a major issue, whether it be abortion, transgenderism, back go back as far as gay marriage, entire media lined up behind him. You take yeah. a big a big question on legislation that might be controversial in another democracy, like the government are debating hate speech legislation this week, media, all lined up behind him. He is not used to having a hostile media. And you mentioned, yeah. I mean, that has been our experience at Grip as well, because we... Uh, don't do. We produce more content than the ditch, but it's not invested. We're in different space. They do investigative yeah. stuff, and they're very good yeah, at it. Yeah. We tend to do more day-to-day coverage of, of of issues. But you go along. Ben Scallon goes along to these press conferences, and he asks ministers questions. And sometimes, like some of them, some of them are very good, but a lot of times, they the the sneer on their face when they're asked a challenging yeah. question is like. Who do you think would take a challenging question seriously? Do you not know who we are? Do you not know how things are done? You don't ask those Mm -hmm. kind of questions of government ministers. That is the Mm -hmm. attitude. There's an attitude of entitlement in relation to the media. And why wouldn't there be? Should media gets loads of money from them? They, They tend to believe that these people are, I'm not going to say they believe they're bought, but they certainly believe that they should know which side their bread is buttered upon. And I think a lot of journalists, frankly, do. Um, so so, so there's that element too. I mean, the brass neck of complaining about harsh media coverage. I mean, he should swap with Rishi Sunak or Joe Biden for a week. See see what they I get know. in terms of harsh media coverage. I mean, bo- both both yeah. of those people have whole, not, not just fringe small little outlets, whole mainstream outlets devoted to taking them down. The Guardian in the UK, the Fox News in, in the US. I mean, hostile media coverage is part of the job and we all get over it. But that said.
1: But it's also part of a functioning democracy, John. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, the, 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 the it, it's not even, it's not even, it doesn't even show that he's not used to like a harsh media, whatever. It shows how far it's drifted. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like the fact, it's not just that the media line on a social issue, fine, and the media, everyone lines up. The media line up and they're afraid of their life. They all just talk, they all just say the same thing. No one ever challenges anything. We had a journalist on last week, as we discussed, who used to be one of the people who's, Talked a bit outside the box on a number of issues. He got cancelled, <laughs> and they're furious that they can't cancel gripped, or the Ditch. That's what it's about. It's furious. There,
0: there was a column in the Irish Times after Joe Biden was here. I, it was, I think, it was written by Kathy Sheridan. It might have been Miriam Lord. I don't know who which, which of them it was. But it was about the kind of it took on the issue head head on that the President Biden got sycophantic media coverage when he was here. And the justification was, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically, Abitur didn't he deserve it? And he's <laughs> he's one of us. He, he, of course, we gave him sick, media coverage. And it was extraordinary. And I, I mean, does this? I mean, this sense now that journalism roots for a side, and that side is 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 the people who journalists consider to be respectable? And let's come to the ditch because there is no doubt in my mind that the ditch overtly, in its coverage, the editorial objective is to get rid of this government and get another government in and the only other available government is one led by Sinn Féin. Um, mm. And it, it, it is in that stable. Uh, and I think a lot of journalists just don't think that's respectable. Uh, journalists tend to be of the left, but they're not of the Sinn Féin left. I mean, they, 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 you know, if you did a poll in the Irish Times office who you're going to vote for at the next election, Holly Kearns would do rather well, better than she'll do with the entire population, let's put it that way. Um, but then,
1: John, well, like we're in the age now where we're told that like words matter. Words can be violence. Pronouns are important. This is all important. So I think we should just start calling things what they are like. It's not child porn. It's child rape imagery. And it's not journalists. It's activism. You're not a journalist. You're an activist. You're actively working towards an agenda that you believe in. That's not journalism. That's an activist. You're a political af- activist who writes editorial co- like commentary on the world. So you're not a journalist.
0: And that's, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I somebody who does that. I have very strong views, as my readers know, about a whole range of issues. Um, and I, I write them because I want those issues to get the coverage I think they deserve and the best arguments for them that I can muster, which might not be the best arguments for them. There's yeah, yeah but, I can muster. But, but I'm honest you're about
1: closely, it. But you're cl- also, you're honest about it, but you're closely aligned with your ideology when people talk about you. Mm -hmm. The difference is that we're supposed to play along that people in the Irish Times, like Una Mullally, are just objective. They're not. She's an Mm -hmm. activist. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, these aren't, this isn't journalism. This is you projecting your opinions and your views, uh, like, above all else, with absolutely no objectivity. So you're an Mm -hmm. activist. So, John, you'd be, gripped. would be referred to as a, Right wing act, you know what I mean. So, yep. so if that's the case, well, then let's call Le- the Irish Times what it is, which is a left wing ideological magazine.
0: Yeah, like I mean, no objections here, no <laughs> objections here. Uh, I'm mean, gonna call them that from now on. Um, but the ditch, uh, my point is, is also activist, uh, it is very clearly activist, it very clearly yeah. has, um. An interest in exposing what its journalists believe to be the systematic corruption of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, or FFG, as they call them. Um, whether that which, is whether that is fair. Which, whether they're only looking, for example, at that those two parties. I mean, I haven't seen many investigations into Labour TDs or Green TDs or you know, Sinn Féin TDs. I think they did one story about a Sinn Féin functionary, apparently. but um, they're looking for stories about this government, and they sort of relish in. Them. Um, and, and I
1: don't think, I don't think, John, that's like, this is my personal opinion, that I don't think that they are correct. I don't think that there is a systemic corruption problem in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I just no. don't. And if there was, you wouldn't have to find 20 year old stuff to prove it. Like, I think that there's an agenda there, as you say, and whatever, and nobody in it, no party has a clean slate above, across the board. Certainly not Sinn Féin. I mean, spare me. Like, do you know what I mean? Is is Jonathan all gone into the witness protection? What's happening there? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, there's no party that has a clean slate on anything, anywhere. There is always going to be bad people. There's always going to be people who, you know, do corrupt things in all of all areas of life. There's bad doctors, there's bad lawyers, there's bad everything. Fine. I don't think that there's this inherent culture of corruption in Irish politics. I don't believe that at all. But I, I think agree- if you dig long I, enough, you'll find things on everyone.
0: I agree with you, and I, I think it's 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 clear. I mean, corruption is a human problem, not a political problem, right? Even the, yeah. I, mean, I I often say without naming any individuals, but it's interesting to me how many people who 20 years ago were were long-haired uh, pajama-wearing green activists who these days suddenly have uh, green energy companies that are getting significant subsidies from the government. I mean, the, yeah. the temptations of power are everywhere, um, and they are there regardless of who it is, which is why I think, as a conservative, one should be fundamentally sceptical about giving people power uh, and giving people <laughs> power over you. But never, yeah. people, people never seem to put two and two together. They'll say the government is corrupt, and then they'll say, well, we need more government.
1: But yeah. and, al- and also, by the way, it's like you and I have discussed this before, but like, I don't think... That, you know, like it's like conspiracy theorists, you know, like the conspiracy theorists sometimes I see online and they think that like, I don't know, all of the government and, you know, the Illuminati and whatever else have all conspired together to spray chemicals and chemtrails into the air to poison us all or whatever. And it's like, I don't think... That they're that good, that they would be able to keep those kind of secrets. Like there's just no way that we can't even build a children's hospital. Like it's t- the idea that they would all gather together, keep shtum, and have some giant conspiracy theory theory where they're you know injecting people with microchips or whatever, spreading the virus. You know all this, all the different conspiracy theories. They're just not that good.
0: This is it. Sorry, you can't build a children's hospital, but can organize them up like billion yeah. dollar. Conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to, to. I mean, somebody asked me this week. Um, somebody on the left who was sort of like for you know having a go at the ditch actually rather than said, oh, Gript and the ditch are just the same, and we're not. And the difference is if I could sum it up in sentences that gri- that the ditch tends to believe that Ireland has a corruption problem. Yeah. Whereas Gript, at least under my editorship, takes the view that Ireland has a competence problem. Um, we have a problem with people who are in power who don't really have any idea what they want to do with it, who tend to hand the decisions over to civil servants, who tend to let their civil servants do all sorts of things that they shouldn't get away with. Like, for example, the bizarre spectacle we had just this week. I know this is slightly off topic, but the bizarre spectacle we had this week of, do- of Robert Watt, the Secretary General of the Department of Health, casually telling a doll committee that... He couldn't tell the minister about a two million contract for Tony holland because the minister's computer was hacked. And everyone just shrugged their shoulders. Now You would think in a normal democracy, if it, there was a revelation that a cabinet minister's computer was hacked, um, everyone's ears would perk up and go, oh, my goodness, has this been reported to the Secret Services, the Guardie, the Defense Forces? No, nope. they just skimmed right over it. Cabinet minister's computer hacked, so we couldn't be told about the two million contract. Oh, spilt milk, butcher, we learn lessons and move on. We have a competence problem. We have a competence problem not only in those who make the decisions, but in those who question the decisions, and that includes journalists. They're, nobody mm. asks the right questions at the right time, which is why all this nonsense happens. That's my basic theory of the case. The Ditch's basic theory of the case is they're all on the take getting brown envelopes. Yeah, I don't agree. I think ours is more persuasive, to be honest. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people are fully subscribed to the idea. And you're
1: both... And you'll both be right some of the time. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, some people will be corrupt and some people will be incompetent. I think, uh, I don't believe that there's a culture of, of corruption, as I said, but um, I definitely think that we have problems and I think that the, the the what we accept as a standard for things is low and should be higher. Mm. Um, but that's a kind of a, you know, that's a long, long-standing um. Problem that we have, I don't know. I mean, just like there's a there's a there's a there's an interaction between civil service and politicians that's broken, and yeah. I don't know I don't know how that gets fixed. But what it what it ends up with is that there's a chasm where accountability jumps into, and we never get any of it. And um, before,
0: before we move on, we're both agreed then that Niall, Niall Collins will will exercise his brass neck and survive. So I think that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah, well, I mean,
1: but I don't. Yeah, unless there's more or something else happens. But I, I think that the fact is that like Louisa O'Reilly, if she can't come up with a question that he has to answer after he's spoken, I think you're flailing in the wind, to be honest.
0: When it comes back to what I said, competence problem. I mean, you don't know, they don't know what questions to ask. Um, yeah. There are questions that could be asked, but anyway, we've spent enough time on this. Let's talk about the Eurovision. Uh, I don't know if you were in the country when this week's major scandal broke and there was a major announcement. And I just saw that the... This, this tweet from this band called Wild Youth, who are this year's um, crowd who are going to get null points in the Eurovision semi-final on behalf of Ireland. But this tweet from them that they had, after shocking tweets by their communication, their choreographer had been uh, revealed. They had immediately cut ties and they were so desperately upset uh, and so sorry to anyone who'd had to see them or been exposed to them. And, you know, it was a disgrace and it was immediately dealt with. And so what, what what did the guy do? Did you see what he did? Of
1: course I
0: did. Yeah, for the listeners who very few listeners who probably <laughs> didn't see it, but uh, he, he tweeted a picture of this individual in the UK, um, who the BBC described as a woman, um uh, who had committed a fairly violent rape. And and you know, we can't show pictures on this podcast, but picture steptoe from Steptoe and Son. And you've Oh an idea yeah, that's
1: such a good description.
0: Yeah, the, I mean the, the the guy um you know he he looks like an old fellow who lives up a mountain. I mean, some of these um, people, uh, transgender people who, who end up in prison for rape and so on, I mean, they might wear lipstick, they might have shaved, they might have gotten breast enhancements or whatever the, the case may be and still be recognizably male. This lad basically didn't make any effort at all. Look. Um, and so their choreographer saw this and said, uh, this is absolute nonsense. This fella is a man. And for that, he got sacked. Transphobic tweets. um What did you make of it?
1: Uh, I mean, clearly, this is the man, the photo. It's ridiculous. But it's also just the kind of like, just like firing your choreographer and coming out with it because they tweeted that this is the man. I mean, get a grip. Honestly, just get a grip. The whole thing is absurd and it's just more cowardice. Like, no one would have cared, no one would have noticed like lots of people have that view well that that's
0: a map I'm not sure I agree with you I think I think to some extent uh, you know normal people that's true but I think one problem when you're in the arts is that the arts is so dominated by this stuff that actually they probably felt or maybe even feel that the majority view was you had to go because I did see lots of tweets from people with rainbow flags in their profile and people with Eurovision in their profile because the Eurovision uh, and I, I say this with no derision whatsoever, but it is it is an event which has over the, certainly over the course of my lifetime, become increasingly and now almost exclusively um, uh, associated with the LGBT movement across Europe. It's it's, it's a very gay event. Um, and I think there was a, they, they probably did get a lot of sort of people initially going, oh my God, this is so terrible from across Europe. And that's probably what they reacted to. Um but, I mean, it does show the gulf between that culture and the rest of society, I think, because it's... it's but it, it's, it's, but it it's, also
1: shows, John, that, like, you know, this is the choreographer of the act. It's not the act themselves. It's the choreographer. So, you know, if the lady who works in the canteen and makes the chicken curry's nephew tweeted this, does she get fired too? Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, this is, a, this is not a public-facing person. They're entitled to their view. And the idea of cancelling people down, 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 down the le- The levels is like I don't know. I'm just really uncomfortable with it. Like you're a choreographer. You're not a. F- you're not a public facing person. It's also, you should be allowed to say what you want.
0: It's also a little bit. It, it, it's a little bit ditch like to, to to do a crossover with our last our last topic, in that this individual Ian Bannum is his name. Had um, he currently has about 1500 followers on Twitter, but I assume that. A, a good portion of those are people who who started following him after this scandal emerged, you know, to see what he'd say. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the simple fact of the matter is that this guy obviously was tweeting to maybe, maybe let's say 60% of them, maybe 900,000 people. Somebody sought him out. Somebody actually said, uh, somebody's looking for dirt here, in other words. Somebody's digging through to see, uh, going probably going through the Eurovision Act to see if they can create a little mini-scandal. Does ha- let's not pretend it doesn't happen. It absolutely does happen. Some guy with a couple of thousand followers suddenly discovers a major scandal and is the centre of attention for a couple of days, leading a campaign for something to get cancelled. One of the problems with mob culture is how intoxicating it is. How how it can give this illusion of power to people who have none of it. So you know if you are this little guy with you know a, a few hundred Twitter followers, you can potentially take down Britney Spears if Britney Spears says something bad, and you're the first one to find it. So there's this incentive. There's an incentive to lead the mob, and I think mm. that's that's a factor that's, that that really is a big one here. Um, but I mean, then there's just the I mean, where are the adults? Where are the people who are going to stand up and say this is bullshit? Where yeah. are they? I mean, J.K. Rowling? They're, they're they're, they're
1: but, no, they're afraid. They're afraid of their life of getting cancelled themselves. That's the way this works.
0: I actually, you know I, I mean? Ben was scheduled to to do a, an event with Catherine Martin this week, the Minister of Arts, and I, I had said to him. You've got to ask her about this. She's the Minister for Arts. This is her responsibility. Put the picture in front of her and say, Minister, is this a man? Do you agree with Ian Bannum or do you agree with the band? Now, unfortunately, Catherine Martin got sick and couldn't attend. And, 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 and I mean, she had no idea we were going to ask her that question, so I'm not saying she skipped out genuinely sick and couldn't attend. But there needs to be accountability for this. Like, we need to have some clarity, I think, from the people who lead this country as to what is and is not acceptable to be said. Because if, Saying that a man is a man is now something that can cost you your job and likely, I'm sorry to say this because I can't employ Ian Bannon because, uh, you know, we don't have jobs for choreographers. Um, there are lots of people who might agree with him who don't have jobs as choreographers. The problem for Ian Bannon is that a lot of the people who have jobs for choreographers work in the arts scene, which is funded by the Arts Council and the government. And, and you know, he's going to find it very hard to work again. Let's be honest, and I don't think he should, but he's going to find it hard to work again. You can literally destroy people's careers and livelihoods for saying that a man is a man. And that's where yeah, we're at. I think, And, the and it used to be, but it really used,
1: co- yeah, but it used to be the journalist or it used to be the politician. And now we're getting down to the choreographer of the act at the Eurovision. Really? Do you know what I mean? But like that, that's that, the level. And also, that, why do you care? Like ultimately, John, like at, at the end of the day, the reality, the hard reality of it is, is that, if you're tra- if for tra- tra- transgender people or whatever, the world will never exist where every single person on earth thinks that you are a woman, right? It, that will never exist. In, in so far as I'm a woman of 40 years of age, nearly, and I'm never going to exist in a world there w- where there won't be some men who think that I should stay at home and never work and look after the children. It's mm-hmm. just a fact. There'll always be people who think certain ways. And what is this consult- like absolute comp. comp- compulsion with getting rid of these people like why can't you just go well you know i'm happy enough like i'm happy enough that probably let's say 70 80 percent of people think that women are equal and whatever and whatever and i'm not going to go around seeking out the people who don't and like trying to get them cancelled because i don't care Mm.
0: like this person has now
1: lost their job like what to like why 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 does why did that need to happen there will always be people who don't think that's a woman that's just the reality of it. Like, and even if that person was dressed up to the nines, and some transgender women are beautiful. Like, even if that person was dressed up to the nines and beautiful, there'll still be people who say that's a man.
0: So but what? a lot, a lot of it you is. Why do you care? You, I mean, uh, first of all, you're entirely correct. I, I've always been a bit of a Rolls Royce, you know, built for comfort, not speed. And I know <laughs> that there are going to be people in any argument if somebody lose their temper, temper with me, you are going to call me, resort to calling me fat. Because people can be cruel. They can say things deliberately to be cruel. That's just the world that we live in. Um, But one of the things, I mean, because I've seen in recent years more and more articles popping up in American magazines because all the world's madness ultimately comes from American magazines. It's the universal law of the universe. Um, Where there are transgender people who get very upset that, for example, transgender women, men who have transitioned to becoming women, who get very upset that heterosexual males don't want to date them or don't find them sexually attractive, even though they say, Oh,
1: yeah, I've seen this. Stand in
0: front of the mirror, I'm as attractive as any woman. simple fact is you're not a woman. That's why men aren't attracted to you. You know, there's biological reasons for sexual attraction. (laughs) To do with the human drive to reproduce, you can't reproduce. Therefore, sad as it may be, um, there are going to be some people who are just not attracted to you. Um, and that's that's the world that we live in. And, you know, and so you you see, and this is particularly the case, uh, the lesbian community is really suffering with this at the moment, where there are lots of trans women who also say they're lesbians and actual lesbian women are saying, well, oh, that's like, no, we're not. We're not attracted to you because you're not a woman.
1: But surely, um, like, like I'm old enough to remember when uh, you were absolutely entitled to, you know, decide who, what, when you were attracted to. When you wanted to be with somebody, when you didn't, like you know, and all of that, did that just go out with the yeah. wash?
0: I mean, look, we've okay. had the trans and discussion I, so much on the show that we probably uh, won't go into the weeds on it. But I mean, the point is that uh, it, you know, the offense people is
1: losing the, their job for having an opinion that a huge amount of people have and are afraid to say is is wrong.
0: The other That's, thing is, this isn't just this isn't like. This isn't like going up to somebody on the street who you think might be transgender, standing in front of them and going, you're a man. It is not that level, yeah. because that is offensive. I think most people would agree that's offensive, because the person you're attacking or you're know, speaking your truth to has done nothing to you, has done nothing wrong, doesn't pose any threat to society that you're aware of, and you're just going up and being a bit of a dick, uh, to use plain speaking language. Um, This, on the other hand And a pun, John Go 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 get the (laughs) giggles Um, This, on the other hand, is somebody who uh, Is a male person Who is quite obviously a male person Who raped a woman And wants to be accommodated in a woman's prison Because he says the law says he's a woman Even though he looks, like I said Like um, a dirty old man It is perfectly acceptable In fact, it is necessary for somebody, whether it be Ian Bannam, J.K. Rowling, or whoever it is, to stand up and go, "That is a man," because it is, and it, it, it's it's relevant not because we want to offend the person, but because they want to be accommodated in a woman's prison, and the BBC is going along with it and saying this woman was convicted. No, that's not a woman; it's a man. It, so it's, it's relevant. It's not cruelty if you're if you're saying something. To prevent an active harm, which in this case a lot of people would agree is a bloke being put in locked up with women after having raped other other women. I mean, that that's not that's not yeah. cruelty. That is whistleblowing. Um, and what
1: about and and so, as I said, like say nothing for the you know rights and you know considerations of the female prison officer who has to do a strip search on that person, as is their constitutional right. So. You know, I don't see the National Women's Council of Ireland or any of them getting out their, you know, knickers in a twist about that particular woman because that's not convenient. But. I,
0: I thought this was an interesting one in one way, though, speaking of the National Women's Council, in that uh, sometimes you see a small turning of the tide on these issues. And after this happened this week, uh, it ended up being the lead singer of, of Wild Irish who ended up having to put his social media accounts on private because he was getting such pushback on it. And I don't know if you know, noticed this, but I thought it was interesting. The usual suspects weren't lining up to say congratulations, well done on on defeating transphobia. There was no supportive tweet from the National Women's Council or the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, or even perhaps I didn't I didn't check, but I, I didn't see anything from the Transgender Equality Network. There was a lot of silence. There was no this guy shouldn't have been sacked because you know they're all quite happy that the bad far right transphobe got sacked, but there was no we're sticking our neck out to defend the band on this one. Because I think they felt that the winds weren't blowing in the direction that they wanted them to blow in, and I thought that was interesting.
1: And why do you think that is?
0: Why do I think that they they think the winds are blowing that you, way?
1: Why do you think that they didn't come out on this and they come out on anything else on everything else?
0: Because I think um, I think there's a, a, there's a desire to main, maintain a little bit of different distance from the most extreme consequences of your own beliefs. So there's a, there's a desire mm. to 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 pitch themselves almost as a little bit moderate. You know, we're not going to engage in this particular witch hunt. We're not going to speak out against it either, but we're not going to take any... If this goes wrong for wild Irish, we ain't going to be within a, a mile of it. Self-preservation, I think, is is what the case
1: is there. <laughs> I love that that's moderate now, but that, that's no, it. So You just well, used you know Trump. That, I,
0: I saw somebody this week in the American presidential election. Uh, I can't remember who it was, and I can't remember who they were talking about, but it was somebody who was justifying why they support either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. And the phrase they used it was actually a blogger who wrote this uh, was that too many conservatives want to embrace the arguments that the left were making five years ago. So it's the it's the it's the old increment, you know. You where five years ago we were saying X, and then we lost that argument. So now we're saying we actually support the thing that we opposed five years ago, thus far and no further. Um, and and I think there's truth to that. Um, and I think this is a kind of issue where you will see some people um, at once saying, "Oh, this is a this is a bad thing." But you know, uh, if he'd said he if he said he'd opposed gay marriage, now that'd be a different story. You know, there's, so there's there's a oh, there's, yeah, yeah. you know there's a sense to which the goalposts keep moving, and even though we recognise this is nonsense now, there's a real risk that in five years uh, it'll be something even more ridiculous that people are being counselled for, and we'd we'll be saying, which even Ian Bannum didn't say that. Um, <laughs> so I think there's 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 a there's, uh, there's it's quite depressing in a way.
1: So what you're saying is that there's just so much more fun stuff to come. Is that basically what you're saying?
0: Oh, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> speaking speaking of the goalposts moving, uh, because we don't have much time to discuss this, and I know some listeners care deeply about it. Uh you and I, um well, me for my sins, um, I, I know you've publicly stated you voted no, but I I was the idiot who was the public face of the no campaign in twenty eighteen on the abortion referendum. When we were all told that, you know, we were absolute um, scaremongers, that it was going to be a really restrictive abortion regime, that, you know, there was going to be a three-day waiting period, that there were yeah. no abortions after, you know, all, all this sort of stuff. Uh, within four years, we now have a review on the table which proposes getting rid of that three-day waiting period, expanding abortion for all sorts of reasons, you know. Uh, it's it's uh, And it's a, it's a good example of the goalposts moving. And it will pass. I know there are some people out there, God love them, who think it won't but it will because I think the government announced their TDs will have a free vote. And I was doing a count today and I could find 14 TDs who probably vote against it. Um, I, can't, I can't see, and, you know, which I might get 30 votes against on a good day. Am you know, you know, I unfortunate? And hopefully I'm wrong, in conclusion. But the goalposts are just moving dramatically. And we had, uh, the I don't know if you saw this, Sarah, the, the, the report which they're going to vote through includes the revelation that there are babies in Ireland Are being born alive after abortions and no one wants to care for them. As in, nobody wants the hassle. Or maybe that's not, maybe that's too cruel. Nobody wants the legal responsibility. No one wants to be on the hook for caring for babies who are born alive as a result of abortion. No, the the report doesn't say what actually happens to them, just that they don't get cared for. So presumably they die without any medical or uh, palliative intervention. So there are horrible things happening in Irish hospitals and we're going to have more horrible things happening in Irish hospitals. And, I mean, I just find it hard to... I find it hard All the to things we
1: were told would never happen, basically. But, uh, but the problem with, the, problem with the, the campaign and everything was that, and I have had, in the last week, a number of two particular come to mind friends who were, you know, very, very, very big yes voters in that campaign or whatever, who are now kind of saying, well, but this isn't what we voted for. And, you know... And I was saying, but like the 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 campaign that was run wasn't truthful, never is. And so now you know the public have like given the all future rights to vote on this issue away. And so this is this was always going the you know the way it was going to go. And I mean, it is what it is, John. You know what I mean? Like we talked before, like the culture changes, change things become more progressive things become normalized and this is the slope and that's just the way it goes like mm-hmm. i don't like it but it, it, it's it's this is what was going to happen well, well i it was, mean I, I, you know, it's a good we start of that told cause... during the campaign that that was a lie and it was scaremongering and it was never it wasn't true and it was just about you know difficult cases and it was limited and it was restricted and it was you know blah blah blah, blah. well
0: 10 years ago you know, uh 10 like years that. ago uh simon harris had just been re-elected to the Dáil, or maybe he was elected for the first time to the Dáil, having signed a pledge to the pro-life move pro life campaign i think it was that he would vote against the instruction of abortion um that, that and I, I say that not to highlight the fact that he broke his promise though he did but I, I am saying it to highlight how much the political winds can shift in such a period that you know we now have we now have a massive further expansion of abortion after his after two expansions of abortion over the last ten years, a massive other one, and it has become is become one of those things where the the there is much like all the other topics I mentioned, the media are lined up entirely behind the government, uh, and the review on this one, and I mean there is a massive full court press to make sure the thing passes, and not much resistance to it. In all honesty, there, there I mean, and I I say that you know, with no disrespect to the pro-life organisations who are doing all that they can to highlight the issues. But I mean, not much resistance amongst the public to it. There's a sort of resignation that this is just the way things are now. So yeah. it's, it's, it's and also,
1: like, politicians, like as you say, Simon Harrison, by no means, was he the only one, that like, if you're, you know, you, you, you'll be accommodated uh, by the media in doing a complete Reversal of your views on an issue, provided the reversal is going in the right direction.
0: Well, I I, I always say the de- what is what's the sim- what I mean? What's the simplest definition of far right in this country? It is, to my eyes, pro life. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the simplest definition of being far right in this country is somebody who publicly believes everything that Leo Varadkar publicly believed in 2012. That's it.
1: Ooh, that, that's very. Was he pro life in
0: 2012? He. Uh, I, I couldn't place it, but he was certainly in favour of uh, restrictions on immigration, both on law and order, on taxes. Uh, opposed gay marriage. I mean, he only came out for gay marriage. The referendum was in twenty fifteen. I think it was the year before that he, he came out that he changed his mind on that. He was, oh, I, I believe. I think in the
1: definition of far right in Ireland is, I think, in mind the definition of far right. And like again, far right it's just like. It's a nonsense phrase. It doesn't mean more, and it, it, you know it's been taken over as a slur. And you know it's kind of a—it's something you should be afraid of. if you yes, have Sarah, a question about immigration, concerned the, about abortion. Uh, you know you're probably far right.
0: Yeah, we, we slightly lost your audio for a second there, Sarah, but I think we got the the gist. You're correct. The other definition is anyone who disagrees with Paul Murphy on anything. That is the other <laughs> definition of far right, as we learned this week. But anyway, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, I think we've gone almost an hour and it's been a, a pleasure, well, a depressing pleasure um, as ever to go through the events of the week with you. Um thank you as ever to our listeners. I hope you got some new perspectives or you know, some ideas that you mightn't have heard elsewhere this week uh, or think about some of these issues. Um we are always honored when you when you listen to us, and we are even more honored when you tell us, get, make the time to tell us what you think. So if you think I got something wrong or Sarah got something wrong, do let us know. And if there's something you want us to talk about um, that you don't think is being covered elsewhere, drop us a line about that as well. But for now, from Sarah and from me, until next week, that was the week that really was.